Welcome back to BTA Charity Voices Podcast with me, Anne Hughes. And this week, I'm talking to someone who I've only met recently, but is a very well-known name in the charity sector in Scotland. Alan Clayton has got a wealth of experience and been in the sector for 30 years. So we're looking forward to this conversation. Alan, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Hi, Anne. Good to be chatting to you this now. Yeah. And so, I mean, Alan, although I've heard about you many times, I met you for the first time just a few weeks ago. And when you talked about your career then, it's like you've been doing all this stuff for 30 years. So where did it all start? Where did the charity sector and fundraising, I believe, start for you? Well, it started for me as a volunteer when I was a student at Edinburgh. I got involved in ESCA, the Edinburgh Student Charities Appeal. Right. And I loved that and I hated my degree, which is a science degree. Mm. So the minute I graduated, I got an entry level job in fundraising. I trained part time at the Open University and, and went from there. Uh-huh, great. Uh, simple as that. What were you training in the Open University? Was that relevant to fundraising? Uh, yeah, I did a management degree. Oh, great. Yeah, great. So yeah. it started as volunteering. What was your first job? My first job was at the University of Manchester. I ran the student community action and rag and fundraising uh, department down there for three years uh-huh. uh, then I moved to London to work at what was then called the British Diabetic Association yeah. uh, and then on to head of regional fundraising at the, the Diabetic Association and then on to a similar post at an international NGO. So see those jumps you made, did they seem clear? I think it's always interesting to understand why people made the leaps they made when they made them. Did they all seem very obvious to you at the time? No. <laughs> I'm, I'm very much a pure fundraiser. Uh, so I, I realised in my early jobs that I need two things. I, I need the sense of contribution yep. in my job. But I also need a sense of achievement. Mm. Uh, and, and I like to move fast and I like to get quick results. Uh, and I'm really into raising money. I have no shame about money being the focus of fundraising you know, in the context of donor excellence and such like. And I found that my more business-like approach to it was a difficult cultural fit for the charities that I worked at. Uh So although I was getting great financial results, the the personality didn't suit me to sit on large discussion forums and and, and just the, the, the sort of management style of the charities. Um, so that was the point that I realised I would be more advantageous for me and the world to work in the supply side, in the agency and consultancy side. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And did you derive everything you wanted from it? You know how that, not the old adage that if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. But obviously we do all feel as if we're working most of the time. But did it tick that box you talked about earlier on about you you loved doing it at uni because it gave you that sense of sort of a purpose of contribution? So were you yeah. enjoying this, this career that you were developing for yourself? It's really important for me to have achievement and contribution. Mm-hmm. There is a movement, you know, that says one should, you know, achievement is a bit unfashionable. And one should just contribute and sacrifice. I'm not into that. It didn't work for me. I need to achieve to build my self-esteem, to make, to feel like my life is moving forward. And obviously financial targets and building departments and building campaigns is very important to that because mm-hmm. you get the, the recognition, internal and external, of a, of a job well done. And knowing that's done with a greater contribution to your organisation, to the team, to the world and, and to donors is, a, is an equal part in that mm-hmm. for me. 
I suffered early in my career with people telling me you have to wear a hair shirt, whereas I don't see anything wrong with being personally successful and making the world a better place. If everybody were to do that, the world would be a significantly better place than it is. And and setting the example or aspiring to set the example of someone who's personally successful by making a positive contribution was the the place I sought and, and eventually found. Yeah, and I really resonate with that because there's something for me, again, always worked in the sector like yourself, that if I do a job well, I do feel really good about myself, actually. <laughs> And that makes me a better person. So, it makes me happier yeah. in my life. And there's no shame in that, isn't there not? None whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And I say it should be a shining example. Uh-huh. There, are, there are too many people who get personal success out of making the world worst that are held up as sort of successes in society and we should counter that. Yeah, and I love that, that you're saying you had no shame in sort of asking for money because some people really, I think, do, uh, especially maybe people who are in the sector but not fundraisers and they feel as if yeah. it's rude to ask people that they're perhaps working with within their area of the charity. It's rude to ask them for money. And I find that it's a, it's a battle I've had probably quite a few times in my career. And it's yeah. like, why? It's not rude. Like, you know, it's difficult to get around that frame of mind that people have, isn't it? People are funny about money. You know, I work with many boards for what they want is a lot more money without the embarrassment of having to ask for it, basically. Yeah. And, and that goes round and round and round. You know, th- th- there is a simple pragmatic truth that if you're trying to solve a problem at any scale whatsoever beyond your sort of very close immediate environment at any scale whatsoever you need money to solve that problem money is not an embarrassing means to the end it's how you solve the blooming problem yeah i've got no shame in that it's a pragmatic point of view money is how you make stuff happen exactly exactly and i think at least you know when we're making money it's for the good of a cause the good of the world the good of society and that's why i'm okay would i be i think i probably could be a salesperson because it's a similar role isn't it but would i be a good salesperson when i was just making somebody else's yacht bigger probably not but you know it's interesting isn't it (laughs) <laughs> if you believe in what you're selling you can sell it exactly you know? <laughs> this is true this is true so i know in your career like i was quite impressed looking at your your linkedin that you've worked in europe you've worked in australia you've been international you've worked in america so where did all these moves start to come into your career then there was a bit of a gradual change so for about 10 years around the agency based in london and pretty much all of my clients were were uk based mm-hmm and after I sold that, I started doing uh, more conference speaking, but also doing a lot of research. We started to commission academic research, and I used to do study tours, yeah. just going to, to, to speaking to the, the leaders of charities, NGOs, and nonprofits and finding out what they needed. What coalesced was an insight that there are lots and lots of fundraising managers in the world, people who can run a wonderfully efficient and effective fundraising program. But the number of people that can drive growth yeah. is very, very small, very small. And there's two reasons for that. One is it does take a certain talent to drive growth. Yeah. But second, it also re- requires training and a certain organizational environment to mm. allow fundraising to grow. Mm. So what we realized was that many of these organizations actually need a fundraising accelerator. Mm -hmm. So the private sector equivalent would be a business accelerator. 
Um, and it's an external organization that only does three things, which is ruthlessly analyzes with you exactly where you are right now yeah. with pragmatism. Second, imagines and defines with absolute precision where you're trying to get to, mm -hmm. the, the, the purpose, and then describe the gap between where we are and where we want to get to and break it down into a manageable sequence yeah. to get from A to B. Mm -hmm. Only three constituent parts. And there are three different skill sets and very few people can do all three. And what I discovered to my personal delight is I can do all three. Yeah. So therefore, we figured out how we could train organizations to accelerate their fundraising. Now, not every organization can do it. Most organizations would like to, not all can. But the, the minute we had that, that became a global service, mm -hmm. the, the, the best in market anywhere in the world. And no surprise, I was invited to teach this all over the world because no one had ever studied it before. Yeah. So it was, it was brand new intellectual property for, for my business, which we, you know, we, we make the core IP available to the whole sector free of charge. Uh, then our business is, is to inspire people about it, to educate them how to do it, and then help them deliver it. Mm -hmm. uh, so fundraising acceleration of organizations is, is global. Organizations behave exactly the same all over the world. Donors behave exactly the same all over the world. So it just became a global market for, for me and then the business we built around it. It's been spectacular everywhere, South Africa, Ethiopia, Romania, Argentina, Amazing. North America, South America, Philippines. And so I'm assuming as, as you're talking about that, I'm thinking those traits that you talked about near the very start of this conversation about you being able to have contribution and achievement, you must feel yeah. as if you are like massively doing that now. Right at this moment in time, after two and a half years of, cool. uh, of working behind my computer screen, less than I did two and a half years ago, mm. but it's, it's just this week starting to swing back with a vengeance. The clients have got moving. They've got their confidence back again. But yeah, absolutely. The sense of achievement and contribution is, is vast. Mm -hmm. the, the amount of money that the clients have managed to generate for themselves on the back of the acceleration intervention is in many billions of dollars. It's very, very significant. I was going to ask you that. Do you actually sort of a quantify the contribution that is made by doing this programme? Yeah, well, we estimate it because the, the, there's a lifetime value to it. So if you think we typically we will accelerate an organization, anything from a three months to a three year, yeah, you know, partnership or intervention, but the client will maintain that income level uh -huh. for the long term. So, you know, so every year the, the number generated by our past clients just goes up and up. Oh, exponentially so we, we can kind of quantify it but how we justify the quantification i don't know it's many billions for sure uh-huh and isn't it wonderful though that you created this and it's sort of i know you've lived in different places and we're down in london and things that the achievement of this and the the wisdom of this all lies in scotland i'm quite excited about that does that excite oh you? i totally love it mm. i totally love it there was a point in time we had uh we, we had six offices uh, we had one in Washington, D.C., mm -hmm. one in London, one in Copenhagen, mm -hmm. one in Paris, one in Melbourne, and the sixth one was in Fort Augustus, Highland, Scotland, population 400. And I love that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And that is like where your head office is, isn't it? The Fort Augustus? It is, yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. 
Uh-huh. Wonderful. So that brings us up to the present moment. And you've got revolutionised. Businesses is starting to crank up again. So you're going to be working with lots more organisations. When you look back on it all, was it a good career? And did you make the right moves at the right moment? It is a good career. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel that 30 years in, I'm only getting really good at this now. Yeah. Um, you know, it takes it's 10 years I've been doing acceleration. And it takes 10 years to get really good at something. So I feel that the, the team and I are, are you know, we're, we're, we're top of our game right now. So there's a good 10 or 15 years of it to go. So, yes, it is it is a good career. Did you make the right moves at the right time? Oh, absolutely not. No, no, no. Okay, this needs some explanation. There were huge numbers of extremely wrong moves, some of them embarrassing, some of them expensive uh, along the way. Reflecting back, I think I was trying to consciously make the right moves by overthinking stuff, yeah. you know, career progression and overanalyzing, and therefore making an awful lot of bad moves, taking you know business risks and lost my money, or moving to posts that I couldn't fulfil, etc. And I've got a whole series of those that, that didn't work out. But I think underlying it, the emotional brain knows what it actually wants. Mm-hmm. So it's nudging you to make very small decisions that will eventually end you up where you actually deep down want to be. So not where the world and your conscious brain are telling you where they think you should want to be, but where you do actually want to be. So no, lots and lots of extremely wrong decisions, but underlying that, a momentum that that has definitely gone in the right direction. Almost unconsciously. Uh And I think it's good to share that. I'm glad that you've been authentic with that because there's understanding if somebody is listening to this podcast and they're near the start of their career, even if they're 30 years into their career, understanding somebody who is successful and is doing an amazing thing made wrong moves. Sort of a, let's just stop beating up yourself a wee bit, doesn't it? Anyone that says they've made all right moves through their career is telling you lies. Mm-hmm. They're just trying to show off how clever they are by saying that. And, and certainly, if, they, if they've not made a mess of something on the way, they've never got genuinely achieved anything. Yeah. And it's I'm, I'm lucky enough to have a lot of extremely successful people as my clients, and they've made a right old pig's ear of some stuff along the way. Uh-huh. And so see the, the clients, not asking you to tell me any of the clients, obviously, but see the, the, th- the issues that they come to revolutionise with. Are they pretty common? Well, as a as a freelancer in the sector, I'll go to an organisation. They'll tell me something that's happening. They'll think it's the worst case, and I'll say to them, "This is happening everywhere." I've had this conversations many times. Don't worry, but they don't speak to each other about it because they don't want to show weakness with other charities and things like that. Perhaps. You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. You know as well as I do, Anne. The blocks to fundraising growth are exactly the same. Never mind, it's a big organisation, small one. Which country it's in which cause they, they, they represent. The only variable is the personality, mm-hmm. the personality of the leadership and the personality of the organization as a, as a collective. Mm-hmm. And of course, they can vary hugely. So actually, the, the emotional intelligence of driving behavior is the only thing that, that varies. Now, that sounds simple, but it's perhaps the most complicated thing on planet Earth to deal with yeah. is the, the nature of personalities. Yeah. You'll, 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 you'll like this one. I believe that the only problem that can't be solved is ego. Real. So it is. 
yeah, I would buy into that a lot. You know, I'm, I'm a bit happy, I think I told you that. And so being detached from ego is something that is a continual journey, I think, that we all have to go on, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so do you often come across organisations and you think maybe there's too much ego there, it's not the right personality, the leader hasn't got the right personality or the organisation and therefore it's probably better I don't work with them? Yeah, at least once a day. <laughs> even as a freelancer I'm just starting to get to that place of I pick who I want to work with actually yeah. do you know that yeah. way because there's some people if you're if, if there's no clarity and no understanding at the start why would I possibly go further into that conversation <laughs> Well, you, 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 you get people who genuinely want to achieve something or, well, achieve and contribute. And there you, you've got synergy the minute you come across those people. And they, they're going to work hard. They're going to have the persistence, the resilience. They're, they're going to make the decisions necessary. And you get other people who just say, I've got a problem. Can you make me look good? Well, no. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's about the, um, the leaders having the humility to say, I'm not doing it right. I need help. And Absolutely. by virtue of the fact that they are a leader means that at some point they believed they were the best. And so it's quite yeah. it's an interesting sort of a juxtaposition that leaders must find themselves the, in, isn't it? Well, the, the, the magic line for us is the leader who has the ability but not the knowledge or experience. So the classic for, you know, our most successful accelerated organisations are the ones where the chief executive is an extremely talented individual, yeah. but they've got no experience of fundraising. So they've come up through services or they've come up through finances. And then they realize that there's a whole new skill set involved in leading a fundraising organization. And it is different to leading a service provider or a central resources department. It's a completely different leadership skill. So they then have the openness to learn that skill, but they have the ability to then follow through and act on it. So that's our dream client. I've said chief executive. It it can be the collective of a senior leadership team or it can be the director of fundraising. But that senior post has got the the openness and the ability is is critical. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And do you still love it as much as as you did when you started doing the accelerator, when you come up and you devised all this? Does it continue yeah. to change? Does it continue to evolve? I can answer that question differently on Friday than I could on Monday. Mm. Recently, I've been getting the stage of finding it not as enjoyable as it used to be because we've been stuck on Zoom and there's an awful lot of very scared people. So I feel like I've been carrying the fears of a huge number of people for two and a half years to the point where it's affected me quite badly but, to, but just now it's swung back. We've had a, a whole series of extremely positive conversations with clients this week and stuff is moving again. Great. And I'm, I'm grateful that the, the spirit, the energy, the determination, the focus and the will still seems to be intact despite everything we've gone through. And in fact, it looks like it's bursting to get out. I'm, I'm, I'm sensing a few people got to the end of COVID hell, took a bit of a rest in August, and are coming back looking at September and saying, let's rock and roll. So I was a bit down about it on Monday this week. Here we are, and I'm like, bring it on again. So, yeah, big picture-wise, I still love it. Keep me out of the details. Need somebody else to do that. Aye. And you've got an event, because yeah. not every organisation maybe can come and do everything you want to do, but you have got a three-a-day event coming up in Central Scotland soon, haven't you? Now at the end of March. 
uh, I can tell you the dates. It is 28th to 30th March. Revolutionize teaching people how to do three things, which is how to aspire to greater things, how to align your people behind that aspiration, then how to accelerate. Cross Baskets Castle down in there. Uh, south between Glasgow and East Cumbria. Uh-huh. Oh, wonderful. So we've got more time for people to have a think about that. So just Absolutely. in case when you're listening, so that's March 23 that it's going to, that it's going to be on for everybody. Yeah. Great. And yeah. are you looking forward to being able to share that in a wider scale, in a different scale? Because it's not one organisation, it's many organisations that will be in the room. <laughs> No, absolutely. And this is the, the, the concept behind this event is it's not just charities. Mm. There are private sector organisations with purpose and, and public sector organisations coming as well. And this is an area which anybody trying to make the world a better place, private or public sector, can actually learn from the charities yeah. because we're better at purpose than they are. Yeah. Um, so there's actually a greater good agenda from the fundraising sector outwards mm-hmm. on this side. It's brilliant. It's mega inspiring. Great. Wonderful. When you reflect back on that 30-year career, on everything that you have developed, you know, everything you've done, all the organisations you've worked with, what are you most proud of, Alan? It's the impact on people. So some very, very, very junior people right at the start of their career and some very, very senior chief executives with with billion-dollar budgets and everybody in between. When you can work with somebody and they discover a level of self-belief they never had before, that's the greatest gift you can you can give. You obviously can't give or sell somebody self-belief, but you can work with them so that they, they get that. And once they've got that, they never look back. So I, I don't know how many people it is, but 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 that's been by far the highlight of my career is is people who walk away with a greater sense of personal self-belief. Yeah, and you know, and I think it's so interesting that none of this stuff happens in isolation, doesn't it? So maybe their organisation does get better and everything, but the impact of that on their life actually is massive. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Yep. What's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given in your career? Oh, I know this very precisely. This is from Ken Burnett, who was my mentor back in 2001. And took me aside and said, I'm going to give you one bit of advice, Alan. Good enough is not good enough. Mm. And I said, what do you mean? And he showed me a document I've written. He said, you did this in a hurry and it's good enough. He says, you're the boss. Good enough is not good enough. If you're going to write a report like this, it's got to be the best report in the company because you need to set the example. And for some reason, that stuck. Mm. Good enough is not good enough. Never mind what it is. You, you, you can't make excuses and say, I'm, I'm not a mornings person or... I'm not an admin person. You just have to be really good at everything yeah. and do everything, whether it's big picture or detail, to the very best of your abilities. And that stuck. That it seems really strange. Good enough is not good enough, but it's a mantra that goes through my head ten times a day to this day, and it's brilliant. Right. That, a long way, the best bit of advice. Great. I've only just met you, so I've never asked you for advice yet, Alan. But I'm sure that many people must ask you for advice, all the hundreds and maybe thousands probably of people that you've worked with. Is there a piece of advice that you give time and again? Would you like to know what the most common piece of advice I give to people are? I definitely. Pick up the phone. Yes, yes. <laughs> fundraisers, you know, I say this often, fundraisers, don't, don't keep hiding behind emails, phone people. <laughs> 
Young people. Um, it, it's a bit more fundamental, Max. It's actually it's shortcut for take the difficult stuff head on and deal with it. Yeah. Confront it. Because the biggest block to fundraising growth is fear of criticism. So it comes from trustees being scared of the charity regulators of the press and then being scared that their fundraising department is somehow going to open them to criticism. So they pass that fear down through the chief exec to the directors, to the rest of the organization. They're all scared that fundraising is somehow going to get them criticized. They dress it up in language like it might damage our brand. What they're scared of is being criticized and not knowing what to say. And therefore, the fundraising leader has to somehow get through all that cynicism and fear to say, well, actually, we're, we're trying to save the world here. Mm-hmm. Can you not put up with a little bit of criticism for a million quid? You know, I could. <laughs> no bother. And the ability to take those kind of interpersonal fear-driven conflict issues head on is not done by strategy meetings. It's not done by writing policy documents. You don't solve cultural problems or structural solutions. You only do it by talking to people. Mm-hmm. So the bigger the what it sounds really trite, but the most important bit of advice is identify that the problem is coming from a person and take it head on and speak to them. Do it with charm. Don't rant at them. Do it with a solution head on, but pick up the phone. It's the shortcut for all of that. Yeah, exactly. Very wise, Alan, yeah. And if you were to reflect on that team, and I suppose that you work with lots of different teams as well as having your own team and you've had all those offices in different places, what is it that you think makes a team good? The leader. Mm. That's not what LinkedIn would tell you, but LinkedIn is wrong. (laughs) You cannot have a good team without a good leader. It starts with a leader. It doesn't end there, but it starts with the leader. 100%. Uh I think this stuff all rolls downhill, doesn't it? There's a lot of people think that management is leadership and it's not. Management is how you get people to do things the right way. Leadership is how you get people to do things at all. So much wisdom in that. I like yeah. that. Uh-huh. Alan, thank you so much for talking us through your career. It's been a delight. Pleasure. It's not over yet, I hope. No, exactly. <laughs> this one will be revisited. 